all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and, and they you've got to get them off welfare. All right, everybody, welcome to Cars and Comrades. This is your host for the day, Brandon. Uh, I already fucked it up. I didn't do any sort of intro. Yeah, I'm not good at this. <laughs> you can, I'm, you I'm can going do another back with take. No hosts, no masters. <laughs> 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 welcome, welcome to Cars and Comrades, where we you come to seize the means of horsepower production. I'm your host for the day, Brandon. And today we have a special guest. Uh, James, why don't you give us your credentials? Oh, God. Um, James <laughs> Gilboy. I write for The Drive, automotive journalist. I've uh, been at it a few years, uh, and I've uh, been occasionally given a press car. So I guess big corporations take me seriously for some reason. Yeah, our first guest, our first real <laughs> automotive journalist here. You're the professional. Yeah, we're like a real podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> At time of recording, we have not released an episode, but we ha- have a guest now, so. <laughs> yes. Not sure how that works out. <laughs> Good progress. We're going to get that, that Patreon cocaine money in no time. <laughs> I'm not convinced this is a podcast and not just a hangout sesh. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been gaslighting you. I just need friends. <laughs> oh, shit. I thought I was gaslighting you doing the same thing. <laughs> Wait, does anyone here have friends outside the podcast? Uh, yeah, James here. I I know him from Lemons and stuff. That's true. Yeah. All um, right. Well, uh, what what are we doing here today, fellas? Uh, uh, you know, th- they're being quiet, but we got uh Bryant with us here today too. Zach and Connor got the whole whole cast. Yeah, everybody's here. Um. Yeah. So I I invited James on here. I thought. It would be interesting, um, James. I don't know exactly what your how you described yourself politically, but I know that you you liked some of the 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 dank leftist memes that I posted on Facebook. So you must be okay. <laughs> yeah, um, it, I, I'm guessing this is the invitation to describe myself politically, and <laughs> um, <laughs> only if it's good. <laughs> This is the part where I try to recite where the mental anxiety has tried to, or the the anxiety has tried to make me come up with statements in advance, blah, blah, blah. But um, as far as it goes, I think our politics should represent our morals and our morals. Is, okay, I'm going on a tangent fast. Long story short, hey, people are born all pretty damn capable. We should give them their best to become the best uh, people they can be. Uh, and uh, the societies we have built do not do that. So uh, let's fix that shit. Yeah. Not to say you're a communist, but if you read old school <laughs> communist stuff, one of the phrases you see recited very, very often is the right to self-determination. And I, I honestly think that at the root of it, that's all anybody's really looking for. Mm-hmm. Like, Amen. The resources yeah. to find your path. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, the freedom to determine your own life. That's pretty much it. So... Right in line there. Yeah, and uh, and I know um, James through 
uh, racing lemons in Colorado. So, uh, you know, James races on a, on a team with some other folks. Uh, they've had what a Cadillac and an MR2. Is that right? Mm-hmm. There was uh the first one was a Cadillac DeVille that um, I met the owner at cars and coffee. And I just sort of asked, started asking him questions and I was like, Hey, uh, in case you need any people to drive this. And he was like, you know, you're the first person to ask me that. Yeah. What era of, of, of car was this? Um, uh, the Cadillac or the MR2 or uh, the Cadillac. I'm okay. So this was a Cadillac DeVille from the late nineties. Okay. This was oh, North bummer. Star. This was a North Star Cadillac. Okay. I was hoping it was going to be like 75 or something. Uh-uh. No front wheel drive. Handled yeah. as you'd expect. And <laughs> and it had a lot of the same North Star engine problems that are typical, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'm guessing everybody who's listening to me knows uh, the North Star for its reputation. And uh, it lived up to its reputation. It blew the rear cylinder bank gasket after 36 laps. We filled the ship with Blue <laughs> Devil and uh, got it out for like two more laps. I drove the last lap uh, for the checkered flag in limp mode. And uh, <laughs> have you ever driven a race car at, uh, in limp mode around a track? <laughs> I'm sure that was difficult, but can we go back a little bit? So yeah. tell me, did, did Blue Devil work? Like to what, and to what extent? Cause uh, that's always been that, like that thing that you see on the shelf that you're like, ah, that's definitely not what I need to fix my problem. But you're like, but can it get me to work this week? Um, oh, okay. Like, so I think that, like, I do have, I sorry, think I do have a good answer for that. No, no, no worries. So my answer is, um, so as for how it worked for us, um, so on the can of Blue Devil, I think it says something about you're not supposed to use it for engines over either a certain displacement or coolant capacity. Um, whoever drove to the nearest parts store from High Plains Raceway in Colorado, which is in the middle of nowhere, as Brian can tell you. Brian's, yeah, it's, it's like, what, uh, 60 miles east of denver or something like that yeah it's it's you drive to denver international airport and then you go east another like 45 minutes or something it's it's basically kansas um not literally but it looks like kansas so anyway this place is 20 minutes from the nearest gas station which also happens to be a small parts store the uh, teammate of mine should have read the label where it says it's like don't use this for coolant like capacities over like eight liters and uh, the Cadillac North Star, I think, was something like twelve liters. Somebody, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know it. if I would have ever known like the coolant capacity of like my car. I don't even know. I just, what do you mean? You pour enough in until you see it come up. What do you, <laughs> I have no idea what the actual capacity. I is. mean, what, what's the engine displacement limit on it? Uh, it, it was either displacement or coolant capacity. I. I think they gave engine display, or maybe cylinders. They gave something weird, but I think it was basically telling you don't dilute it too much. Um, I yeah. think we diluted it too much because we got um, the goal was because it like it blew up after I got a full stint in the thing basically, and I was a third person in the car out of four people. So like we had one guy left who needed track time because like he helped the damn car get onto the track. So we felt like we owed him that. 
We poured the thing in. He got a half lap of full power before coolant started coming out of the exhaust again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe if we'd used two bottles, it might have held together. To answer your question, will it get you to work? Well, if it survived half a lap in a Cadillac North Star on a racetrack, it'll probably get a Tercel uh, along your commute. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, because the North Star was not a well-designed engine by any by any <laughs> so it, like it was already a problem so it's like well if you put it into something that's like you just had a bad head gasket and you're like yeah it's not leaking that bad maybe it does work okay i've always wondered i've never i have never what, put that it into also a car, begs but the I've question how close do you live to your work yeah <laughs> yeah if you're close enough to walk to work then yes it will get you to work <laughs> <laughs> that's true well there's also, if you just have a leaky radiator, um, you can just use egg white. Okay. Like, yeah. like literally. I've heard, um, I've heard that. Busters. I'm skeptical. I, I've, it, I'm, it just it seems like Mythbusters. That's, that's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> there are so many leaky radiator, like, er, like things that you can supposedly do to fix it. I, I don't even want to touch that shit, man. Yeah, radiators usually are not. I've, I've had good luck with Mars stop leak. I have JB welded a radiator closed again. Yeah, the only thing I've seen that works real well was just melting a shitload of solder on top of it. But mm-hmm. I mean, that that doesn't work if you have plastic tanks, I guess. At this point in my life, I am convinced JB Weld will fix anything. If if I blow a head gasket, I'm putting JB Weld in my coolant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> You Dude, know, I drive I drive small block Chevys. Like if I blow a head gasket, I'm not fixing it. I'm replacing the engine. So it's it's six <laughs> of one, half dozen of the other. Fair enough. You know, maybe we should back up and, and explain to the listener what the 24 hours of lemons is, because like I don't know, maybe you've heard of it if you're into the car scene, but like I I know that that at least among the the people on this podcast, not everyone knows the the whole details. Like I, uh, ostensibly, it's a it's a racing series for $500 cars. The The purchase price must be below $500, uh, not including safety equipment. But oh, so of that's actually more in, to it. So that is actually in the rules. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and um, okay. I mean, there's more to it than that. But, um, but yeah, they, the, the idea is that you, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you paid, you know, around $500 for it. Or else they'll uh, they'll put penalty laps on you for every bribe them. Yes, yes, that bribery <laughs> is encouraged uh, in in lemons or uh, backsheesh. Yeah, I'm curious called. because like, what do they do to to get you to explain that? Because on paper, I've never paid more than five hundred dollars for a car. <laughs> they don't yeah. ask you to do a lot. Um, if anyone better. from the state of Pennsylvania is listening, I legitimately <laughs> paid five hundred dollars for every one of those cars. <laughs> I just I mean, also happen to owe that person a few thousand dollars. <laughs> you you have to have at least a vaguely convincing looking paper trail is all it amounts to. Like literally, they will accept it if you have a paper towel with some sharpie on it that has been mocked up to look like a receipt for a window regulator or something like that. Because what you can do is. Uh, to elaborate on the $500 limit, it's um, it more or less has to be feasibly worth $500. Um, so what people can do is they can buy a 
a Miata with a busted head gasket for $700, and then they can sell off the convertible top for 50 and then the interior for 150 and then you've got the $500 car. Um, Rafi, my friend who bought the Cadillac, had the binder from the people who built the car because uh, we didn't build it. We bought it, and that's how we proved that we were driving something worth $500, not that a, a, a Cadillac... Deville is worth more than five hundred dollars. Period. Yeah, and uh, and if if your car, if the judges think that your car is worth more than five hundred dollars, they can give you penalty laps. Uh, is it is it one lap per dollar spent over the limit? I think, or is it generally? I think yes, um, but they also just so the thing you need to know about lemons is. It is not competitive. It really is just for fun. They give you trophies. They're kind of crap. You still want them. But it is just for fun. <laughs> and everything they do is completely arbitrary. Um, they gave... So somebody showed up with a an FDRX7 that had a bridge port and was making like 350 horsepower or something. They gave it literally 1 million penalty laps. <laughs> <laughs> it is arbitrary. They will weld metal animals to your roof they will make you figure out what key turns off this obnoxious alarm in a pile of 300 keys the penalties are stupid and if you're showing up you need to have the ability to laugh at your own misery that's how it goes yeah i like the sound of that that definitely sounds like fun it's fucking awesome (laughs) it's definitely uh it's if if anyone is being competitive and like being a steely-eyed racer and saying, I had the line, you know, that person is laughed at and ridiculed, basically. You know, mm-hmm. th- those people end up in, like, Trump Car or uh, what? what's the other budget racing series? I forget. Oh, there's WRL. There's there's a couple others as well. Yeah. yeah so this if- is almost like that perfect model of, like, what we want society to look like, where it's like, we're not actually competing. We're all just having a good time trying to get where we're going. Um and that's kind of just how life should be, in my opinion. That seems like what the whole vibe is and the whole point of it, right? Even more so than you think. Um, there have been so many times where we have, as the incompetent bunch of fools we are, shown up without um, a certain tool or without certain parts. So uh, when we got our our MR2, which was named uh, nicknamed Patches by the last team that... <laughs> We are at least the third team to race this. We've tried to trace the history, and oh boy, um, it's. I we think it might be like an eighty-seven and a half, like a weird half model year. Uh, okay, yeah. Oh yeah, it's basically what it boils down to is we were trying to fix a coolant leak night before the race. We were like, okay, uh, we've patched up the pipes that froze underneath the car over the winter. That's fixed. Uh, because our next door neighbor literally welded them shut for us because that's how lemons people are. And then we went, okay, now we need to, to plug the radiator. Where's the petcock? Oh, here it is. Oh, the gasket's dry. Um, does anybody have a spare radiator petcock for an 87 and a half Toyota MR2? And the answer is yes and no, because our neighbor who uh, another neighbor who was driving an MR2 was like, oh, yeah, I've got a spare radiator. Just pull the one out of that. That's how we found out that we had a different radiator than he did. Huh. So, um, 
and you're talking neighbors up, in the in the paddock, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paddock neighbors. Um, we ended up literally being given an O ring by another team that ended up working. There is because the thing is with lemons, everybody knows that it's not super serious, and that still, even though it's casual, there's nobody to beat if there's nobody to race. So they're always glad to help you get back on track. And, All right. and I have a similar story to that. Uh, the second time that I, I think it was the second time I raced in, in Lemons was uh, the Grumpy Cat, uh, Team Grumpy Cat. Uh, it was a 1950 Dodge pickup. Grumpy uh, Cat helped the, us. It was uh, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Kevin's a cool Hammer dude. Hero. Uh, yeah, we might have him on the show uh, in the future. We'll see. Um, but uh, uh, I was racing with those guys because they needed an extra team member for whatever reason, no one wanted to to drive a 1950 Dodge pickup. Um, and, uh, they, they, they gave me the job. Hey, uh, change the oil on the engine. And I go down in there. It's got the original flathead straight six from, you know, 1950, or maybe they had swapped in a different one. I don't know. They've gone through, I think three different engines on that car. Um, there are stories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing is like, 900 pounds of cast iron um <laughs> and uh you know it's been what 70 years of rust and stuff on there so like i was like okay well this looks like the drain for the engine and i undo the the drain cock and start it draining out i'm like oh shit this is uh transmission oil fuck <laughs> <laughs> i i picked the wrong lump of cast iron to to unbolt so i that was I am quietly judging you over yeah. here. Okay, so so I that was when I was kind of a noob with cars. Like I I've had to learn a lot of this stuff on my own and this was one of those learning moments. Um, I'm not really judging you. I don't care. <laughs> but uh so so yeah, I I accidentally changed the transmission oil. And so I went around <laughs> the paddock and said, "Hey, does anyone have any transmission oil I could borrow? I'll pay you." And uh Rich from the um uh, what is their team name? Um, uh, Rocket Surgery Racing. Um, he's like, yeah, yeah. Here, here's a couple bottles of it. Don't, don't worry about paying me back or whatever. So, um, just that kind of attitude is is generally very pres- around in the in the paddock, you know. So yeah, it's fun, and you know, people are at least, you know, I don't think either one of us raced this year because of the pandemic. But, you know, well, also because I didn't have a running car. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Um, but generally speaking, you know, there's without the pandemic, there's a uh, uh, a pit party after the race. So everyone brings food oh, yeah. and beer and uh, jello shots or whatever the case may be. Um, or some- MD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it? Mad Dog 2020 or whatever that guy. Yeah. Uh, Jeff brought. Yeah. We can tell that story if you want. Yeah, uh, Jeff um, from the uh, Salty Thunder uh, racing team. They've got a couple yeah. Fieros out of uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, yeah. He he likes to do what he calls bum wine tasting parties. So he has uh, all the like all the sh- cheap shitty wine from you know the bottom shelf, and then like uh, Ritz crackers and cheese whiz. Um, <laughs> Nice. It, it's a fun time. So, my, my favorite Mad Dog 2020 that. fact is that it is not called Mad Dog, and everyone who insists that that is on the label is actually wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? It yeah, it's MD 2020, and it does. Um, in case you're wondering, I know you're not. 
actually <laughs> taste better when it's filtered through your, uh, the soles of your own shoe. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember that. There's a video, uh, I think, on YouTube of you drinking uh, that out of a shoe for whatever On reason. the official Lemons channel, yeah. Um, it, it's called a shoey, and I insist to everybody who watches me drink Mad Dog out of a shoe that it's a thing. I saw Daniel Ricciardo do it on the Formula One podium, so I decided I had to do it too. <laughs> Fascinating. It, it, it makes your shoe smell really, really foul. <laughs> it, it makes the mad dog taste better, but it makes your shoes taste awful. I'm serious about both of those things, too. Uh, yeah, I think I'll Jeff pass on bought that. Me, Jeff bought me a whole case of Mad Dog 2020 Gold, which is the pineapple-flavored stuff. Only I, I like pineapple stuff, um, so I'm, I'm about like 15% sure that I won't hate it. I like the idea that it's not gold because it's higher quality. It's gold because it's the same color. Yep. <laughs> I mean, what else do they have to call gold there? The contents of the toilet, maybe. Yeah. Uh, that's I, gonna... <laughs> I mean, there is gold. Okay, uh, because I'm living in the <laughs> 1800s, I have to be right back because I have to go put wood in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Brandon's furnace went out. So. E. I'm st- I'm literally keeping warm with a wood burner. As long as carbon monoxide isn't the problem. So um, so tell us about the uh, the MR2 that you that y'all have been racing. Okay, so uh, this MR2 story starts. Do you want me to start it with this car story or where we picked it up? Uh, I'm wondering, I'm actually wondering if we should maybe go back a little bit and just kind of get deeper into, um, a little bit about lemons, just like fine with that. uh, Yeah. I'm trying to think, um, what else would I want to know? That's kind of basic. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about, uh, one, you know, um, how does, how do you participate in it? Like, how does this come about? How do you get into it? And like, you know. How, how what is the actual costs associated with getting involved in this like it's a 500 hundred dollar car but you know when you are fixing it you are doing this and mm-hmm. that you are driving it around like is this like a feasible working class kind of like yeah pretty much anyone can get involved or is it like you might want to save yourself a, a, a nice chunk of change before you try and try and do this okay um i so I do actually have uh, a an older story on the drive about this in general. So I suppose let me just launch into something. Let me launch into something that's kind of a how you get into lemons uh, abridged, which is first off the whole $500 racing thing. That is a fantasy. That's $500 for the car in theory, before safety gear. You can spend a lot of money on safety gear. You can spend very little. Um, That's on the personal level, and that's on the car as well. Hmm. Um, If you want to do this, basically, with between my research and uh, price checking, the cheapest a four-person team can probably go racing is about $6,500 to set up a team. That's car, Ooh. that's renting safety gear, that's entry fees. 
Um, that's probably as cheap as you can do it. And spending a little bit extra on your own gear or stuff to share around is probably the more financially wise idea. If somebody wants to dip their toes into it, they can rent gear for a weekend. I would say, though, expect to spend what you would uh, drop on a sizable vacation, though. Um, so racing you, is you, as when I, you say rent renting equipment for like a week. Like, what kind of equipment would you necessarily be renting? Okay, so lemons requires. I'm sure I could read the label if I dug my fire suit out of the bottom drawer of my dresser, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's SFI 5 or... Okay, there you need full fireproof gear, um, a helmet that was manufactured within the last 10 years, I mean, is what it boils down to. So you can buy that outright, new or used, or you can rent it. Uh, there's a pretty good place in Denver and it's got a couple franchises in California called wine country motorsports. Um, they, they, they literally have, uh, lemons rental packages. You can walk in and go, Hey, I'm doing a lemons race this weekend. And they'll be like, you're here to rent gear. Aren't you? Um, funny Hmm. enough, uh, a small tangent, but so like brick and mortar, clothing sales like they sort of don't make sense in this era unless you're buying racing gear because you really really want to be sure that your fire suit or shoes or helmet fit you properly before you sit down for an hour or two in a race car because if you find that you buy a helmet and you can't put on your glasses while wearing it you're up shit creek so like i there are very few times where it's worth like going and paying the extra to, for um, to make sure that you're getting the right stuff with clothing because usually you can return it. But if you're dropping $500 on a helmet or whatever you're spending, I think I paid like 300 It's worth it to make sure you get the right shit that actually fits your head. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it, that sounds worth I mean, I have two helmets personally and mm-hmm. one and I think... One I bought off a friend for like 35 bucks and it's a little too small for my head and kind of makes my ears hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the other one, I think I picked up at a swap meet for like 10 bucks six or seven years ago. And I mean, the thing's a mo- like a motocross helmet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's not well, going mean, to be legal. <laughs> no, yeah, I figured that's probably not legal, but it does fit well enough maybe maybe would get uncomfortable after two hours or something but uh mm-hmm. yeah I'm, i do have to like get a real helmet at some point and i'm hoping i don't have to spend like three or four hundred dollars because that, that like i could get a racing seat for that which is another yeah. thing that's blowing I'm my mind helmet. about this and I, i've talked to other people i think outside of any recordings about this i'm in the process of piecing together a, a drag car out of like an old chevy van and i'm my goal is to have it running in the 11s for under like four or five grand. And I'm currently 90% done with like the purchasing of parts and I'm at like $2,500. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty nice. And so and- like, like the idea of spending $6,500 on a $500 car is just like blowing my mind. Like, Oh, does the safety equipment will kill you. Like I've had, I'm, I've had to start considering like at some point, 
may, may, might be a couple years or something, but at some point I have to get a roll cage and put in my car. And I'm like not looking forward to that at all. It's going to be, it's so expensive. And I'm like, fuck it. It's going to make the car so difficult to drive. <laughs> it's just like, I don't honestly like cages though, do not belong in street cars because uh, cages, you literally have to wear a helmet and be fully strapped in because there are many, many incidences, both in the racing world and in people who went, oh, I'm going to cage my street car and have a track and track and street dual purpose. Nope. If you get in a crash, you're whacking your skull on those bars and you're sustaining a traumatic brain injury. You need a helmet if you're going to... If you're going to cage a car, you need to wear a helmet while you drive it. And if you're going to wear a helmet, you're also going to need a... Uh, oh, neck restraints. I forgot to mention. Uh, neck restraints expire faster than any other piece of safety gear. I, I want to say they're good for three to five years. Fortunately, Yikes. Uh, one team member of mine showed up like having already bought his own Hans device. So he shares it around the team like... Thank God for Marcus. Um, Listen, James, this is America where life is a traumatic brain injury. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but, you know, liability and all, and they won't let you out on the track if you're, uh, if you're uh, ready to, to sustain one uh, on your own. Yeah, I mean, uh, for all the, the, the wackiness that, that uh, Lemons entertains, you know, like they take safety very seriously. Like, yeah, they have very yeah. strict rules on, you know, your cage, um, fire suppression, your race suit, your helmet, your neck restraint. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Lemons is actually credit to them. They're actually super strict about safety. Um, they will turn people away for uh, tech failures. There were a bunch of uh, CU Boulder students who showed up with a Bolton caged Miata. Uh, they did not let them through tech. Those guys built themselves, welded a cage from scratch uh, overnight before the race, I think, because I saw them out on track the next day. But um, the thing is with Lemons, uh, they actually have had like no fatalities or as far as I know, any serious injuries from all the races they've done. And they've been like a thing for 15 years. I'm taking that as a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> you well, can. Uh, but there you is that one guy that died. Yes, there was one guy who did, from what I read, there was an older gentleman who was not in the greatest of health who basically suffered a heart attack mid-race because he was not in physical condition to race. It was not Lemon's fault. It was just he wasn't in uh, good enough health for it. Um, I only know that because a while back I researched which uh, American racetracks had the most fatalities and all, and I was reaching out to Grassroots Racing Series to figure out, you know, if they had seen anything. But Lemons is really, really very safe. They hmm. mandate fire suppression, and a bunch of other Grassroots level series don't. And there have been fires. Like, I've seen at least one. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, like, it, it, it does help to have that fire suppression, you know, when you're racing a janky, shitty car, you know. Dude, that's and, impressive. Uh, I went to a drag strip once, and my, they let my buddy race his convertible with just a lap belt. <laughs> <laughs> well, a, a lot of drag race, uh, at least a lot of drag strips will make you have cages if you're faster than a certain time, like, Oh yeah, that, his car was not running. I think his car ran like 14s, but like. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, you don't need. But we were surprised that. that they let him race a convertible because they like we didn't have. It, it was a very casual weekend. They didn't have anything to indicate that his car would be running. You know, well, I mean, obviously he didn't have a motor built to run like eights or something, but they didn't know that it wasn't a, an eleven-second car. Was it like a test and tune day, or was this like entered into a sanctioned drag racing event? It was a roadkill event. <laughs> oh, okay. That sounds sounds about right. That sounds they, like probably they still like had their, their tech guy there for the weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to in case some guy shows up with, you know, a thousand horsepower slicks and no roof. Oh, there were those cars there too. Like, oh yeah, th- that was the thing. Like they they did have a real tech crew there because like. There were guys like me and my butt. I was in like my beat up old Chevy van that's like pretty powerful, but it doesn't have any sort of drivetrain that can put that power to the ground. And my buddy's in his like old convertible, but there were there were dudes there in fully like pro street hoopties. Um, like my buddy went through inspection, and the only thing that failed was that he didn't have a seatbelt at all, and he ripped one out of my van real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds legit. Yeah, we're sketchy. It's fine. You have to do that stuff sometimes to make to make tech. I, that is not an endorsement of cheating tech, which I have actually not done. And there's no wink, wink there because with your own safety on the line, you really don't want to to make those shortcuts. Dude, I'm mentally ill. I respect other people's <laughs> safety way more than my own. <laughs> I feel you. If if the only thing at risk is my own personal health, fuck it. But I'm I'm not trying to wreck anybody else's good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, though, I mean, because the the cage standards are so strict, I've seen videos of people getting into. Oh, I've seen a few uh, crash videos on lemons. Usually, the crashes are caused by people taking it way too seriously. There's one of some guy literally diving down the inside of another car on the grass to try to make a pass. It's like, oh god, you're in the wrong series. Uh, it resulted. <laughs> Uh, no, it wasn't that one that resulted in a roll, but this one, like, two wrecked cars absolutely out of the race, and everybody's fine, walked away. I, I like that video uh, that Lemons had on their YouTube channel recently where it was, a, I think it was a Mustang that had some super cheaty, like, engine swap in it, <laughs> and <laughs> they gave him, like, a billion penalty laps, and then they wrecked it in the first 24 seconds of the race. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, that happens yeah. to people, <laughs> and uh, and and um, sorry, sorry, not uh, sorry, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, Pete Peterson, who who uh, races the uh, the MG, uh, or did I think uh, that got destroyed in the fire? Um, before it got destroyed Ooh. in the fire, it uh, it rolled at least once uh, because of an inexperienced <laughs> driver. Um, and so Lemons has a rule that once you roll your car, your that car is out of the race for the next year. Um, so he waited a year and year. put a new, and you know put a new cage in it and straightened the frame and uh, raced it again. So it was so called a year, though, not just that one race. I believe so. I might be wrong okay. on that. Uh, check your local listings on that. But uh, it's definitely uh, you're out of the damn race. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, worth checking if it's a year. But but you were saying what was it called? Uh, yeah, so it, it's a MGB, and so after he rebuilt it and brought it back from the dead, it was called the Zombie. <laughs> so this, uh, this is, I I think I've seen pictures of this car. I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, 
and um and he came out to the Colorado race once um so so my friends uh have the uh I think it's a 78 or 79 AMC Pacer uh and I've been on the team a couple times um they when when Pete came out to drive it from California um they did a sort of a tribute and they did the same livery as his which is basically uh black and yellow stripes like a bee with a a traffic cone on the back for the stinger um that's kind of funny oh but um this this isn't that really like this isn't like that amc wagon that's normally orange is it um i don't know if it's ever been orange it was um i think the last time i drove it there was it was the um sux 6000 from uh robocop so it was painted (laughs) silver with like uh a bunch of weird shit glued to the hood um but yeah, it is the wagon one. Um, I think at one time it was like black and green when Speedy Cop owned it on the East Coast. Uh, and then, yeah, I forget which. Uh, it's been, it was white at one point. It was the like generic uh, car, sort of like, you know, generic food from the 80s or whatever. Um, it was the counterpart, counterpart to the, um, the other generic car, the uh, Speed Holes uh, Marlin. Uh, oh, Mar- Ram- Rambler Marlin, which that was the year that the pacer broke down, and I'm like, "Hey, can I drive the Marlin?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." And I didn't know that it was as fast as it it is. It's it's got a 454 big block. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I uh, I went off the track, uh, but it was fun. Like that thing vibrates like a son of a bitch, you know, at 100 miles an hour, and uh, like. If you know what you're doing, it probably handles great, but it also has terrible brakes. At least it did when I drove it. Oh, so. yeah. No, it did. Um, when I, I think it was like 2015, I went out just to explore lemons. Like I was out on a Sunday just to get a feel for it. And that thing was out for about three laps at a time before it overheated its brakes, its engine, like multiple things would go wrong. And then it would be sidelined for like 15 laps. I thought you were going to say it would do three laps and then be in because it was out of gas already. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that they're, they're one of the teams that takes things very casually, you know, so uh, it wasn't out to win. That was no, um, I, I'm joking about the fact that a 454 gets like eight miles to a gallon on a good day. Right. Yeah, no, I know. I, I know. But they like instead of doing the, the you know, real fast pit stops where where they cart the fuel to the the. Um, uh, the the hot pit and you know fill up uh, over there. They would just take it into the pits and let it cool down for a little bit and fill it up and have lunch and then go out for a little bit. So there's a lot of teams that do that kind of thing that aren't really in to win it, but they're just like, hey, I got a good lap time and we're still running, you know? Yeah, so, that's honestly so how most many, people. What is the like? Do you have to like complete? I don't know. Is it is the normal like? you know, everyone's supposed to go 50 laps or a hundred laps or, or is it just run for 24 hours and however many laps you get is whoever gets the most laps is technically the winner again, it doesn't matter, but yeah, it's uh, the second one. How it works, or? So, I mean, it's not always 24 hours. There are a few races where they go 24 hours straight through. Um, but more typically what they do is race Saturday and Sunday and it ends up being about what? 18 hours total. Does that sound right? I think um, 
at least speaking from the HPR ones. So the High Plains Raceway races, all but one, have been um, this ladder format that Bryant brought up, where they'll race noon Saturday until basically dark, and then like 9 a.m. Sunday to afternoon. It comes out to like 14 and a half hours. Uh, They'll do that at places where there's like not a ton of entries or there's really poor lighting at the track at night Mm, yeah um so yeah a lot of them are not true 24s although they do do them at a few uh the more popular events gotcha and then there's um well i guess technically there's four classes of racing (laughs) there's uh a b c d or a b c and f right yes there are there's uh, um yeah, a-, a is you might win the damn thing outright. That's for cars like, um, uh, depending on how well it's running, the Petrosexual Cadiata, which is about my favorite car there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so A is you might win. B is you might finish. C is no hope in hell of either. <laughs> and then F is for people like me. F is for people who work in automotive media. Who think that they're fucking great drivers and who are usually terrible. <laughs> Somehow I've managed to avoid that classification, though. So. <laughs> they don't have any trophies for F, though. Yeah, and most of the cars that I've driven have been in Class C, and that has more to do with the attitude of the, the team rather than the capability of the car. Uh, I, I would almost argue the opposite. Um because my team is not exactly the most serious, but because we drive a Toyota MR2, which has some potential as like you could win a race with it, people have, um, the judges refuse to give us Class C, even though we have never, ever finished in the top half of our class in any race we've entered. <laughs> mm. So... Yeah, it, which speaking of it, the MR2, I'm sorry, we we got off the track of your MR2 story. Like, uh, I don't know, it feels like 20 minutes ago, but uh, <laughs> we can get back to that. I I I, pr- I think I've got a pretty good idea of you know h- how it works and how you get into it and all that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I guess I'll actually go back to where the car got its start, um, at least as far as we can trace. So the car we're driving is actually a very old Lemons car. Uh, this is a uh, it's it's a 1987 and a half Toyota MR2 uh, naturally aspirated, so it's it's the first gen. It's the one that looks like an A-wing from Star Wars. Um, That's newer than my daily driver. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this car was originally turned into a race car. I think in 2008 or 2009. I don't remember who by, but. By somebody who, after they sold this car, built a... It's known as the Amarola. It's the front half of a Toyota Corolla with, you know, the transaxle up there. Made it to the back half and of an MR2. So it's a twin-engine, twin-transmission car. Um, I know for a wh- Yes, uh, you can look this thing up. I know for a while, one end was automatic and the other was stick. <laughs> which yeah is probably about, it's, yeah so do i um i don't know how well it ran or how fast it was i 
think they might have swapped out the transmission on one end to be congruous. That doesn't matter because um, in the second ownership, uh, our race car, which we know as Patches, they themed it up after some Utah land speed record car called the Mormon Meteor or something like that. Either way, when we bought our car, it was covered in about 50 pounds of superfluous sheet metal and uh, had massive cooling problems because they basically blocked the radiator. So, oh, nice. uh, oh yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> you'd be amazed how much better this car was after we took a Sawzall to it, which is not <laughs> normally something you can say. <laughs> but, um, oh God. Yeah, we ended up hacking it up, uh, repainting it. And uh, we actually, we, we bought it the within hours of killing the Cadillac. Basically, the guy who owned it was out in California. And it was enough of a problem child for him that he did not feel like trailering it back. So he was just trying to get rid of it. We ended up buying it for $2,000 off him with a ton of spares and everything. So uh, that's how we ended up picking up that thing. We drove it until the fall of 2018 race when we popped the head gasket and uh we were sidelined all of last year not just like oh wait or was it 20 it it doesn't matter either way we missed last year because of both covid and not having a running race car um hmm. it still doesn't run we will see if we can get it on track this year if it's safe to to work on it and safe to race it that's the yeah. abridged version of it I think I think right. it was um, is it Larry Sanders, the guy out in I Utah? I think that's it. I, yep. Yeah, I they, think so. I forget the other folks on that team, but uh, Larry's got like a whole bunch of uh, old uh, Corollas and MR2s, um, and they were racing. <laughs> I think they had a supercharged '89 uh, with um, uh, like a mirror disco ball uh, covering the whole oh, thing. Oh God, they had two of those. Okay, That's one right. was yeah. supercharged. One was yeah. it was blinding to look at on track. <laughs> Which that, that's really actually fast, another question that I, I wanted to. What was that, Connor? Well, well, so I that was another question I've been wondering about. What is with the style aspect of lemons? Because there is a distinct, like, goofy ass um, styling to mm-hmm. you know all the lemons cars. They're all decorated. I. So I went to one lemons race kind of by mistake. Um, that, <laughs> I'm you sorry. Know, it, well, it, <laughs> I'm we, there was uh, there was some street drag racing um, way out in the boonies, and we kept hearing these cars all night. And we're like, what the hell is that sound? What what kind of a race is going on right now? Well, so around you know right around dawn, we we drove over to a track and kind of just drove in and discovered lemons racing for the first time. So that was that was an interesting experience, but. Um, in that one time, you know, there was a car that had like, um, like a, a peanuts, like Snoopy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sitting on top of a, I think um, I know which one you're talking about too. So, <laughs> so you know, I see What's that. Toyota I see... Previa. Um, God, I, pro- I mean, I probably. know I've seen this theme in a photo, even if I've um, gotten the model wrong. I got like, I know that. So I can't even remember what the car looked. I just remember that there was a car with that on top. And I might even have a picture of it somewhere. Um, I, there was a minivan that had like trash cans that were made to look like uh, jet engines on the back. I was like, mm-hmm. 
So that's all cool. I love it. But like, is there like a side kind of gig where it's like, oh, we judge the funniest car or is it just that's just the nature of lemons and no one really knows why they do what they just do? Um, I feel like there's a better answer than the one I'm about to give, which is, I mean, it's obviously a not super serious uh, race series. I think the original premise was racing cars that were never meant to be on track. So it was it's you're showing up with an awful car that shouldn't be a race car. Um, and then it just sort of snowballed into, well, we're just here for fun. So what we might as well take the silliness to the next level. Sure. Okay. I mean that, that, you know, that makes sense to me. I feel it, like there should help. be a, co- that's, that's it, my approach to my help. whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tell, if you show up with something really ridiculous as your theme, um, I don't remember who it was, but they took a Suzuki X90 and then they just dropped a camper on top of it. And so you just (laughs) see this camper without any kind of truck in front of it driving around on its own. Yeah, like a pop-up camper. Yeah, well, not even a pop-up, just like... Oh, uh, was it? Yeah, it it wasn't even a a trailer. Yeah, it was just a trailer. And they, they put in mesh in place of the window so they could see out, but... You can't imagine visibility was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that was uh, Speedy Cop who um, I think so too. Who's uh, East? I think he's a DC, uh, a cop in DC. Um, oh, yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> we, we won't say anything more about that. But uh, he does some interesting. Uh, I will if you things. want me to. <laughs> um, I I I have a little on the history of lemons here. Um. Basically, it started in in 2006 in the Bay Area, um, and it was part of it, it came out of something called the Double 500 Rally, which is where they drove 500 kilometers in $500 cars. Um, so it kind of came out of this like this weird, um, you know, shit can uh, rally racing that was going on around the same time. Like there was the um, the Big Easy to Big Apple uh, race that was. Uh, um, New Orleans to, to New York city. Um, and I imagine since it was in, uh, the Bay area, it also involved some burning man folks. Uh, but it was started by this guy, Jay lamb, who is a automotive journalist. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of that has continued that sort of goofy vibe, but also just like, because it's, it's, uh, it's this cheaper thing, you know, you're not going to, necessarily win uh with a five hundred dollar car you have no no guarantee of winning even if you have what you, what looks like a good car on paper you know um anything could happen mm-hmm. so like i think that sort of vibe has you know continued with the the goofiness i don't know um plus just all the all the race officials are are weirdos uh you know weirdo art um art graduates and uh, automotive journalists and stuff like that. Gotcha. I mean, there's uh, there's Merle Martin slash Phil Graydon, who's one of the judges who, I mean, one of his hobbies is going around junkyards, finding weird crap in there and either taking photos of it or actually grabbing the parts like the Chrysler visor phone, which documentation like only exists because he made sure to write down that it was a thing factory option was uh in car uh 
I did a short thing on this as well at some point. Chrysler offered car phones where you'd operate them through the visor in your car in the 90s for a short time. Obviously. Okay, we're, we're going to need to remember that because we've talked about doing an episode on just like weird <laughs> factory options. I, I did a listicle on them at one point. Um, there are a lot of really weird ones out there, but then you've as soon as you start asking, like, okay, what's the weirdest factory options, you also have to define factory. Because you can find some really weird third-party stuff as well that sometimes people mistake for factory. But my favorite of uh, there was there was somebody back in the '60s or '70s. Uh, yeah, I guess '60s because it was like early, early Mustangs was converting them to basically like El Caminos. He was putting a truck bed on them, but like at his dealership. So <laughs> yeah, dealer <laughs> options. Yeah, dealer options are another weird thing because. Um, all right, so you know what a Yenko Camaro is. I don't need to tell you. Did you know there were Yenko Corvairs as well? <laughs> yeah, I've seen one. Oh, yeah. There was I, Yenko kind of no everything. Uh-huh. Well, because Yenko was a dealer, wasn't it? I think it was just a performance thing. I, I'm not sure. I think it was oh, a I dealer. I don't remember it offhand. Was there a Yenko Cavalier? Oh, I think that was a little after its time. <laughs> Yenko's still around. Or at least IP wise, I, I don't I don't know that they ever did any cars like that. But I've seen modern Yinko Camaros. Oh yeah, no, I, I I know the name is still around. I doubt it's the same people. Sort of like, sort of like Shelby is today. Fair enough. Okay. Carol's dead. You're putting a name on it because it'll sell. It, good parts, but. Well, I mean, I don't know much about them driving wise, but I was at a car show a couple of years ago here locally, and like Yinko had a tent set up. That was where I saw the the Corvair. Um, uh, and if like, I saw a Corvair. It, there might be some real continuation there. Well, I, and then that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that there is because they were making like genuine like performance vehicles, but they also had some older stuff that they had done. And actually, like uh, I specifically remember the Corvair because. Uh, my drag vehicle that I'm doing, we're relocating the engine and doing like a remote cooling system and stuff like that. And they had done similar for the Corvair because of its weird fucking engine location. And if you're, you know, doing performance stuff to something that is air cooled and has no airflow, you have to get creative with it. So like, yeah. I just looked it up. The uh, dealership went out of business in 1982 and then uh, Chevrolet bought the, the name uh, in uh, 2009 or 2008. Boo. Okay. I, yeah. Wait, I don't was it pre bailout Chevy or post bailout Chevy? Uh, October 14th, 2009. Uh, GM Marketing Capital bought it. Okay. That has to be post bailout, at least as far as I know. Yeah. They used their bailout money just to buy dumb shit. That's- <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's Chrysler's job. Oh, they did. St- Yanko Stinger Vegas. That's interesting. Hmm. Um, you can find some really, really weird tuning stuff if you dig deep. Yeah. Oh, God. Did you know that there was a... You know Toyota actually imported the Cavalier and sold it as the Toyota Cavalier? Yes. There was a TRD version? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> you can find photos of it online. It looks cursed. The ad materials for it are so sad, too, because it's like, oh, God, you guys are really trying to push that on a country that also had access to stuff like the Celica, a better car. <laughs> yeah. 
exponentially better. We were just mm-hmm. uh, we were just shitting on the Cavalier in the Slack. Uh, what yesterday? <laughs> they do soldier on, though. Credit to them. Yeah, I although I think... the nameplate is still around as well. Oh, uh, okay. I, I think only... they sell it in Mexico and China, and it looked for a short time like it was coming here. I only ever drove one once, Did... and I I would describe its handling as agricultural. As <laughs> agricultural? Yeah, it was like very tractor-like. Not that I've driven a lot of tractors, but... Tractor? I hardly know her. <laughs> <laughs> There's at least one really uh, disgustingly fast Cavalier in Lemons, uh, since that's the subject of the day. I know this because I got lapped by it. <laughs> uh, it was being driven by Anton Lovett, who's done something like 100 Lemons races. He's, oh, yeah. he's a veteran, and um, it's it's a little bit uh, a bit of a bruise to your pride when you're driving you know, a purpose-built 80 sports car, and you see a goddamn Cavalier dressed up as a Cimarron, no less, uh, lapping you and actually pulling away from you in the corners. What, what, what has been done to it? Um, I'm pretty sure that the people who built it basically know all the, like the really good performance parts, uh, from the factory to throw on it. I don't know the specifics, but it's like, it's as good as a Cavalier can be in lemons. I think it placed something like sixth overall at the one place at the one race I was uh, tracking it. That was among over 60 cars. Yeah. A quick story about Anton. Um, He showed up to drive the pacer. I think the first year that it came to Colorado and that was when Mm -hmm. the engine was uh, about to explode. It was the original AMC 4.2 straight six. Um, so they had put a block of wood underneath the gas pedal so you couldn't rev it too much. Um, and, uh, and Anton's like, they're, you know, they're, they're showing him the car, they're getting him strapped in and he's like, okay, uh, so like, would you, would you put the, uh, tire pressure at? And they're like, uh, some, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That I believe was when they had, um, bought some spare wheels and tires from Phil Graydon uh, because I guess Ooh. the AMC Pacer and the Dodge van that he owned at the same time had the same wheel bolt pattern. Um, and he told them, okay, whatever you do, don't use these tires. They're from like 1997. And this is like, <laughs> I don't know, 2010 at the time, 2013. Um, and, uh, and Jake, who was, uh, the owner of the car at the time was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just run these. Um, so yeah, it, it made some interesting noises when you were going into a corner with that thing, but it, it's not like it was, it had had enough power to actually, you know, do anything to exceed traction. But, uh, the spare tire in my van is a bias ply that the sizing is still like alphabetical. (laughs) It's, it's like an F size tire. (laughs) So, so whenever you put that on and, you know, actually try to drive, it'll just shatter into a million pieces. I've driven on it twice. It's terrifying. <laughs> I ha- I hate it. I've called out of work because my only option was to drive into work with that on or just not go. And I'm like, sorry, this is not safe, guys. Just sell it to a Subaru owner and they'll just drive on it for like 60 miles. Hey, hey, come on. 
<laughs> I see so many damn full-time all-wheel drive cars in my area. Like I'll see them multiple days in a row being driven on the spare, and I'm like, you sure do love paying your mechanic. Yeah, goodbye differentials. Uh, yeah. Don't don't worry. I've done that. <laughs> I've done that for sure. So many, you know, I've been there. You know, it's like, hey, what am I going to do? On an all-wheel drive car? Uh, this was on the front, so it just pulls super hard to the left when I have it on. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, I want to get four donut tires and see how that handles on a car. I know you can get higher speed ratings for for donuts, but I don't really know what you put that on. Uh, I don't know. Just like go drifting around a parking lot with, you know, brake traction with with 50 horsepower. 100 horsepower. Yeah, 100 horsepower. You can go have some fun. (laughs) Well, yeah. And that's the reason I've had to do it, which most of the time I do have wheels and tires. I have extras. So usually I don't have to run multiple days. It's like, well, I'll just go home and change it with one of my other spares that are real wheels. But uh, I've been there. I've had to do it. (laughs) I just want the tires that make colored smoke when you do burnouts so that I can do red and yellow burnouts. Or the scented smoke. Yeah, can we talk? Yeah, can we have a conversation about because I've seen people do I have it's so funny for all the drifting I do, I have no idea what people do to get that colored smoke. I don't know the first thing about it. Oh, specialized tires. You gotta buy special tires for that? Ugh. Yep. I thought yep. it was like uh something you can drench the tires in and it'll I don't you know. If something like that exists, I don't know about it, but I, I know that the tires are not ex- especially expensive. I wanna say that I was just gonna put them on the rear of uh, one of my vans, uh, and it was gonna be like four hundred bucks for the rears, which is roughly what I pay already. So, huh? I might have to look into that. I just started drifting with like just pink five hundred. I don't remember. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like depends on what you want to pay for a set of tires, but you can definitely get something. You're definitely paying for the smoke novelty factor because you can do. For something you don't mind destroying, a hundred dollars a corner. Yeah, I uh, I drive old vehicles. Like I wasn't kidding about my daily driver being old as shit. Like it's a seventy five. Mm-hmm. All of my rims on all of my cars are fourteen or fifteen inch. So Ooh. I pay for fucking tires. Yeah, I had sixteens on my uh, on my road car MR two for a while, and my tire options were like two Toyo summer tires and then some nameless. Chinese all season or something. If you've got anything smaller than a 17, it can be pretty tough to find tires these days. Yeah, I've been considering upgrading a couple of my vehicles to 17 inch rims just for the ease of finding. Like, I feel like it'll pay for itself in like two years the way I drive. It might. The hard part is finding some like good looking wheels though, because like a lot of the stuff in the cheap end looks awful. Oh, I'm a vanner. I run slot mags on everything. Mm hmm. Steelies also work if you don't like need anything that Steelies work on some vehicles really well and then like if but if you if you drive something that's supposed to be light and maneuverable it's just way too much rotating mass. Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. So I'm on to, I've got to convert things to to American money from Australian, but I found the tires. They're like 150 bucks Australian. Hmm. And, and I'm just assuming. I just assume that everything is stronger than the dollar these days. So 
I, I no, I'm pretty sure Australian dollars are weaker than the U.S. dollar. So I want to say that's 100 to 120. But if that's off an Australian site, then you got to pay international shipping. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are other companies, but this was just the first one I came across. It's uh, really not they, bad. They're like 110 bucks a tire, man. That's not bad. Hmm. That's doable. And, that, and that's for 15-inch rims, like what I would run. So I don't know. That's I, not dude, bad. The wildest I mean, is you can some of them that are two colors per tire. Two per tire? Hmm. There's I literally one tire option that's red and yellow. I, I haven't oh, clicked buy awesome. yet, but you know where my head's at. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, like, I think, James, you said uh, just dripping something on the tires. I wonder how well that would work. Just oh, get, like, a drum full of, uh, you know, food coloring or whatever and just rig up that something. That wasn't me, but, but yeah, that would that's an idea. Or just pour some on the ground in place of water to do a burnout. Yeah. Although, now that you're talking about super cheap tires, I can't help but wonder... That's probably made in China, and if you don't mind buying Chinese, can you buy tires off a of Wish? <laughs> <laughs> I do not endorse this, especially if it's a streetcar, but I'm curious now. Or Alibaba. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to check this out now. Oh, speaking of Alibaba, you saw the founder just got imprisoned by the Chinese government. and uh, I did not. They're like nationalizing the company or something. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know the full story, but uh, I don't know. It's an interesting Dude, development. Say what you want to about China, but they've executed like 10 or 11 billionaires in the last 20 years. So they're not doing everything wrong. Yeah. Okay. F-150 tires. I'm looking on. Okay. So all I did was type in F-150 tire and Alibaba. Um, it looks like you can get like donuts and spares, but I'm not sure about full size tires. Oh my, wait, is this an alloy wheel? Oh God, I, I can't tell what I'm looking at because the, the the listing's English is terrible. But I'm either looking at an alloy wheel for $31 or a full-size tire for $31. <laughs> I don't know if I trust either, either one. one. That's too, I yeah, know I, I wouldn't, do not press buy. <laughs> The worst thing I have found about this website that sells color tires is that they sell gender reveal tires. Oh, <laughs> oh man. It's Which, a point. bunch of Australians did a burnout with those, only like they blew up their uh, <laughs> they blew up their differential doing it. So you can just see fire spreading underneath the car. Yeah, I'm like, going. I wonder how many millions of acres <laughs> of forest these tires have destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I know at least one forest fire has started by doing that stuff. Oh, yeah. It's Australia, um, so probably every time they burn down an acre, it saves like three lives because of all of the wildly venomous animals. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think just Australia just does that sometimes, you know. <laughs> just catches fire on its own. Yeah. Um, I think so. Well, it's part of our ecosystem. Why isn't it part of theirs? Yeah. I mean, it is like the driest continent on Earth, I think. Really? That, that, um, actually, okay, that well, makes sense. Unless you count Australia. Or uh, Alaska. What's Antarctica? That's the one I'm thinking of. Is uh, uh, Whatever. Anyways, um, I was going to say, uh, James, you, you still have your MR2, right? Your own personal one? Uh, yes. That one got a wonky alignment at Big O, and now it's doing horrifying things in, in, on the ice. <laughs> uh yeah 
that car is getting a new engine hopefully fairly soon um when i last took it to my mechanic uh, i i basically asked him why am i making no power whatsoever and he said because you're making 60 psi of compression oh yeah that's not good yep that'll do it <laughs> yeah and you were gonna i last i heard you're gonna do a caldina what is it like gen 4 motor or something yes okay so uh, the Toyota S-Series, blah, blah, blah. Basically, the best version of it was in a JDM-only wagon called the Caldina. It was OBD2 instead of OBD1, coil unplug, blah, blah, blah. Only the one that I'm having built, because uh, I'm not building it myself, uh, is getting a block and crank from a Camry, so a 2.2. It's it's a cast crank, but it's a very strong cast crank. Uh, so I'll be getting a 2.2 turbo instead of a 2L. Cool. Uh, forged rods and pistons, uh, good turbo. It should be above 300 horsepower, super wide power band, quick spool. I just want something that will uh, embarrass kids in WRXs. <laughs> like, I think that'll do it. <laughs> That's my That's my my drag vehicle that I'm building is actually like a 60s flat front van, and I'm building it to eventually, hopefully, put at least 800 horsepower to the ground because I want to really make hellcat owners sad <laughs> which isn't all that hard to do well i'll just have you, them do a burnout so might... they destroy their differential that'll make them sad <laughs> <laughs> or go off into a ditch there was no, that's that... mustang territory <laughs> no there was i think it was the very first hellcat sold in colorado the guy wrecked it within about 90 minutes of buying it oh i'm not surprised so and um, Brandon, I think your van might end up being lighter than a Hellcat. Too. Oh, yeah. My van f- with a big block yeah. and everything, me in it, should probably clock in at under like 3,800 pounds. And that's considering the fact that I weigh 250 pounds. <laughs> that's definitely lighter than a Hellcat because I'm pretty sure those are 4,400 or so. Yeah, th- those got to be heavy. I mean, both the Challenger and the Charger, I mean, those are... Those are like three ton vehicles in my head. Probably not that much, but like they they look. Come on, they're like they're weighing. I, yeah. I, I mix things. They up. Are, my van they from the factory with a V eight. I think was like thirty two hundred pounds. You know, I think was, uh, for the listener, maybe we should go back and and tell a little bit about what is an MR two. Like, um, I know we've been talking for a little while, but like, uh, it's it's a uh, mid engine sports car built by Toyota. Uh, from what 1985 to let me look it up 2003 2007 so there's three generations mm-hmm. um uh i've got uh first gen uh 86 uh you know um james and rafi and those guys were racing uh also a first gen 87 and a half um james what mm-hmm. what year is yours it's a uh, early 90 something yeah, mine's uh my road car's a ninety one. That's an early second generation one, um, and then the third gen one was uh, it looks a lot like a Porsche Boxster, and they they killed it early in this market though they did keep selling it in Japan until seven I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and I there was different options available, you know, in in depending on the year and the market. You know, if it was Japan and the U.S., mm-hmm. like in um, I think it was '89, they had the supercharged one that uh, that we talked about that Larry has. Um, 
that made. I like, think it was more than just eight or nine. Maybe it I want to say it was at least a three-year thing. Yeah, but um, but. that that was uh, you know, like 140 horsepower versus like the 110, 115 that the base model has. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, which doesn't sound like a ton, but um, for a time, if you had the uh, the supercharged one with an automatic transmission, because you could get them stick or automatic. I think it was up there with the fastest accelerating cars in the world from zero to 30, not zero to 60, but it was really <laughs> fast, like from a stoplight. Yeah. And they had, you know, twin cam engines before that was really a thing um, in ordinary cars. So like for the time they were pretty high tech um, mm. and uh, you know, they were kind of in the same vein as the Fiat X19 or the Pontiac Fiero. Although mm. I'd say that, they're better than either one of those. Um, basically, more, a lot of... More reliable than... The, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, more reliable than the Fiat, uh, higher performance than the Fiero. Yeah. So the first gen... Oh, so they were so they were higher performance than the Fiero. I was actually just wondering. Well, maybe not the GT Fiero. Like, those had, like, I don't know, 150 it, horsepower or something. Wow, 150 horsepower. Yeah, the Fiero GTs... Yeah, no, <laughs> I knew Brandon were, was going to say something. They might have been closer to 200... Um, and the Fiero GT was one year only, but it did get much better suspension. From what I gather, those were way better than anything else GM had done with the platform, but GM killed it after that one year. So, oh, yeah, well. I mean, it was a push rod V6. It wasn't, you know, yeah. I just can't resist the urge yeah. to shit People on anything that doesn't make 400 horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you'll be shitting on a lot. Oh, of no, stuff. I do constantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm trying to put 800 horsepower to the ground. <laughs> so the MR2 Not was built with uh, a lot of just off-the-shelf Toyota Corolla parts, like you know, the engine. and Camry as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the I think yours has a lot of the same Camry and uh, Celica parts, right? The second gen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And then. Um, the third gen had, I think, basically the same engine block as like a Toyota Echo uh, or something, but uh, a little bit. Um, okay, so the third gen, the third gen is kind of a funny one. It's it's a black sheep in a bunch of ways. They only ever made it in soft top. There were factory hard tops, but they were like not fixed roofs. They were removable hard tops. Um, but the more important thing was. Second gen got a turbo. First gen got a supercharger. Third gen never got a high power engine option. The only engine that was ever available for it was the one ZZ FE, which is a 1.8 liter, made about 130 horsepower. There was a higher performing version of that engine called the two ZZ GE, same displacement, but it had variable uh, valve timing and lift. You could get those in the Toyota. No, sorry. It, wait, yeah, you could get them in. The Celica GTS, the and then the fast versions of the Corolla at the time, as well as the Pontiac Vibe, and of course the Lotus Exige and Elise, but never the Toyota MR2. Um, my conspiracy theory is Toyota signed some deal with Lotus saying, okay, we won't stick this good engine in our mid-engine sports car so we don't kill yours. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, uh, that, that, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. You can't let the uh, the cheap one outperform the the expensive sports car in, in in any respect or even come close. I get it. 
That's that's yeah. capitalism. See, there it is. I don't know, man. I, I don't think that a car manufacturer would ever do any shady dealings like that. <laughs> that's true. But, you know, I, I'm sure the market would punish them for that. <laughs> so probably you're right. Probably not very feasible. Yeah. And, and people have done all kinds of crazy swaps like, well, I mean, just Toyota st- swaps are pretty pretty easy you know like a lot of like i said they're all kind of parts bin cars you can swap things around like um technically if you, if you really wanted to um an entire uh prius drivetrain would swap into a first gen car um i don't know if anyone has done that but there is prius one guy trains have been there is a prius powered mr2 out there somewhere yeah i think it's a guy in I've... in georgia i want to say somewhere in the south <laughs> um and it's a which is the biggest surprise of that build. Yeah, it's a well, it's not the whole drivetrain, it's just the engine. And the thing about the Prius engine is it's very high compression, but it has um I think it's called an Atkinson cycle engine, where basically the um cam timing on the intake means that it it leaves the valve open for part of the compression stroke. So you've got like 13 to 1 compression, but then you're shooting out some of that um that mixture back into the intake manifold. Uh, and that's for efficiency reasons. Basically it means that your expansion stroke is bigger than your compression stroke. Uh, but what this guy in uh, Georgia or wherever did was put cams from a Toyota echo engine in, um, and, uh, that bumps up the compression again, up to that 13 to one. So you're, you've got a 1.5 liter engine that's making maybe 150, 160 horsepower. But uh, he's the only one that's done it, you know. He's he can be that unique guy, um, that unique guy whose whose Prius engine is on the verge of death at all times. Yeah, his highly tuned <laughs> Prius engine. And then I found a guy. I just today I found a forum post uh, of a guy I think in Wales uh, somewhere in the UK who took a second gen and put a Volkswagen TDI diesel engine in it. Um, Ooh. Yeah, so it's it's about 110 horsepower stock, uh, but you know plenty of torque, and it gets like 50 miles per gallon highway. Um, oh, and, and then probably no MOT approval. No, no, he did. He, he got the MOT approval because he he basically just swapped everything from the Seat whatever uh, version of the Volkswagen, uh, just the donor car. Everything swapped over. Um, and got it running and got it approved and driving it around. Um, but to bring it back to lemons, there have been a few interesting MR2 swaps. Uh, the one that comes to mind is the guy that put a five cylinder um, aircraft radial engine in it. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if he ever got it to run properly, but uh, define hold, hold properly. On. What yeah. is, what is a, what is a five cylinder radial engine i i am wholly unfamiliar you with it it's like a star shape because yeah yeah it's not like um, an inline or v8 or anything radials they're they're around i mean if you've the only way to to describe it is to look it up okay i'm <laughs> it's yeah so it is okay so basically it is think of a a straight a straight five cylinder and then wrap all the cylinders into a circle. And then you've got your radial motor. Okay. So 
all right. So one of the interesting things about radials is, um, obviously because of how a four-stroke engine works, they don't, you know, all you don't actually get all the cylinders to fire on a single rotation. Uh, radial engines, with the exception of dual, uh, like dual bank, because some of them have two rows of cylinders. The ones that don't, they all have to have an odd number because you've got to have the cylinders uh, fire on alternating uh, alternating cycles. So you will you'll see three cylinder and five cylinder, seven and I think even nine, but you'll never see like a, a four cylinder radial just because that's not how that works. I thought it had something to do with the. Uh, I think they're all push the design of the connecting rods. I've seen a whole, like a handful of weird, like radial engine swaps over the years. And a, a thing that I think is consistently funny is that, like, they don't make power. Like, people don't understand that airplane engines are not performance engines. They are meant to be the most reliable thing you can put on something. Like, they're all like dual magneto, like uh, low compression motors. Like, they're, they're meant to like have multiple redundancies and like they're not running high compression because that's room for failure. Like some of these like huge radial engines are making like two or 300 horsepower. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, also because yeah. that's if, if, if your engine fails on the highway, uh, ideally you just, you know, coast to a stop on the shoulder. If your engine fails in the sky, there's no shoulder for you to stop on. There's a ground for you to maybe land on in an emergency, but but that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they're they're meant to be reliable because they have to be. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if your engine fails and you're on the ground, you pull over. If your engine fails and you're a mile up in the sky, then you know it's it's a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you better hope you have a parachute. I, I think, I think this uh, engine, I think this engine in particular was like five liters and less than two hundred horsepower. I think it was bigger than that. <laughs> Real okay. Yeah, I I think it was like eighteen liters. I don't know if it was that big. I mean, it was physically pretty big. It was like it just barely fit in. Well, it didn't fit in the the engine bay. It stuck out. I think even above the hood, uh, above the uh, well above the roof, roof of the car. Well above the roof. Yeah. Um. And he had it hooked up with like a Mitsubishi transfer case and like an Audi gearbox and <laughs> a bunch of random shit. You know, I don't like I said, I don't think it ever like it did run a race and then like broke everything in the drivetrain. And then I think he abandoned it. Yeah, uh, it, the vibrations were so extreme that they destroyed the chain drive in like less than 30 laps. Um, right. It, that's not really it was so, so much custom work to even get it together that it was not something you could jury rig at the track. Yeah. And I think at one point he wanted to switch it over for a turbine engine um, like from a helicopter um i was following the thread on the lemons forums for a while but then i think he like got married and his wife was like get rid of this shit so i i don't remember the whole story you can look that's a bummer because that is such that is such a cool sounding car and i'm pretty sure i found pictures of it (laughs) that is amazing i mean look if it doesn't work that you know is rough, but that is definitely unique. If that thing makes it down the street, I'm it's all for, for it. Trying, I, I don't. Yeah. Do you do deserve it? Would take some finding, but like uh, maybe a year or two ago, 
a, a year or two ago in like the custom car world, there was, I think like an early Dodge pickup that somebody had put like an enormous, like, like old bomber radial engine in like it was absolutely ridiculous it was i forget oh, the yeah. displacement um, but it was actually, enormous what's up that shop is very close to where i live it's a uh, colorado auto parts oh, yeah? i think is what it's called that engine was huge um, like it obstructed yeah. your view from the cab and it made like 300 horsepower or something <laughs> but also like how many hundreds or thousands of pound feet of torque well yeah okay fair and enough. from yeah. like and from idle basically <laughs> undrivable yeah I, I, you're just gonna smoke the tires trying to get away from the stoplight it's top speed is 80 miles an hour but you'll get to 80 miles an hour instantly <laughs> mm-hmm. if you can hook up i want to say they took it out to the salt flats didn't they i don't know i say i'm gonna look this up i know there have been enough like aircraft engine cars that i'm not gonna say it's a thing because it's not exactly easy to get your hands on a rolls royce merlin or or a Griffin, but it's a thing, and they all have to be custom built because nothing can take a twenty-seven liter V twelve. Yeah, it's a nineteen thirty-nine Plymouth truck with a seven-cylinder radial engine. It was it was on Jay Leno's garage, also. So if you want to see the real in-depth thing, but uh, yeah, three hundred horsepower a, like, at twenty-two hundred RPM. What was the power rating? Uh, 300 horsepower at 2200 RPM. Okay, that's actually pretty respectable. Um, yeah, 757 cubic inches. That's all? Uh, 6 to 1 compression ratio. <laughs> TH400 uh, automatic. Um, yeah, that's about all it says. Dude, like Doesn't I'm perfectly comfortable with shitting on a 300 horsepower engine, but a 300 horsepower engine that's making that 300 horsepower at like idle <laughs> at, and six to one compression, respect. Yeah, it uh, <laughs> it needs a turbo, I guess. Well, that's what I was saying, oh. man. They run them super low compression because it's kind of easy on the motor. Like you're not overstressing anything, and so it makes it reliable. I would hate to see the intake manifold for a radial engine that runs with forced uh, forced induction. You know, a lot of it. a lot of the aircraft radials they would do um, a supercharger, a centrifugal supercharger mm-hmm. that was driven off of the crank. Was so they would have like a yeah. So uh, I believe so. I mean, the ones I've seen. Um, so it's it's like an impeller on a turbocharger. Um, but it's like, I don't know, 10 inches in diameter or something like that. And they have it driven by a, like a planetary gear set on the front of the engine. Um, and some of them will do even a case, case induction where like a two stroke, you, you draw the air through the crankcase to lubricate the bottom end um, with the premix. Uh, but that's not, I think by World War II that had fallen out of favor. All right, I'm hearing you. It's all witchcraft. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> there was even um, I forget I forget what it was called. It was like I don't know Italian or French or something. Uh, an engine where they had crankcase induction, and then they had um, intake valves built into the pistons that would uh, that were on just like a like a light spring, so that they would just open with the pressure of the uh, the the intake gases 
or maybe it was just the inertia of the the piston going down the the valve would go up um i don't know like how well that worked valve. yeah it was a it was a poppet valve but it was inside the piston um yeah wait 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 sounds pretty cool the I valve was in the that. piston i can't see that holding up well because poppet valves have to be so low inertia but yeah i don't well, think I... it revved very high <laughs> uh, it was called the the gnome a, a g-n-o-m-e monosupape i don't know what that uh french for single valve um yeah 1913 gnome engine company well it sounds like they should have known better (laughs) (laughs) oh boy they just walked right into that i I couldn't not say it i apologize Capitalism works if it works at all because it always has socialism to bail it out and, and to subsidize it. Ask any race, any real race. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. In the 1980s, 50 corporations controlled most news media in America. By 1992, that number shrunk to two dozen. And today, only six corporations control 90% of everything Americans see, hear, and read. The money spent on the Iraq war alone, which killed one million people, 5% of Iraq's entire population, and planted the seeds for ISIS to flourish, could have covered all global investments to halt climate change trends.